Welcome. Um, thanks for joining us, uh, whether you're watching this live or whether you're coming back and watching this on replay to all the men in the Warrior Within Facebook group, uh, Men's Circle. Um, this is a pretty cool, cool moment, a cool experience for me. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to this, this, this interview and, and for kind of introducing you all to someone you probably already know, but um, uh, hopefully we'll get to know a little bit more over the course of the next 45 minutes or so. Um, I first met Asha uh, in 2016 at a men's event in Sydney. Um, I, I heard him speak and, and spoke to him briefly and uh, felt a connection with him, probably unlike um, unlike a, a connection that I'd ever felt with another man before. Um, and in early 2017, uh, I moved to Melbourne with my girlfriend and uh, Asher was kind of the very first connection that, that I had down there, that I made down there. And, and um, we started to hang out and our connection kind of deepened. Uh, sometime during that year is when he began hosting immense meditation series, which I, which I went to, uh, which would eventually become the, the warrior within uh, men's circle that you're now a part of that we're here in. That was my first introduction to men's work. Uh, and it came at a time of like total chaos in my life. Um, my relationship had imploded. My sense of self had been shattered. Um, I was kind of dependent financially on, on my girlfriend as I st started struggled to start my coaching business. And the next 18 months would be some of the hardest of my life. Um, and Asher, as well as the men in this circle, were integral in helping me not only get through that time, but to go on to build a, a beautiful life uh, full of meaning and purpose uh, with my now fiance, Marette, um, and, and family. He's the president of Meditation Australia, certified Wim Hof instructor, certified life coach, certified heart math instructor. I'm going to miss some things here. And this is no, in no order in particular. Uh, owner of the Fifth Direction, the gym and, and sacred space uh, in St. Kilda. Founder, of course, of the Warrior Within Men's Circle. Father of a beautiful and uh, astoundingly profound five-year-old boy, Jack. Uh, former <laughs> Bachelor of the Year. Uh, someone who I consider a mentor and a friend uh, and someone who I'm honoured to, to be sitting down with today. Uh, Asha, welcome to the first episode of the Warrior Within interview series. Thanks, man. It's an absolute pleasure to be sitting here with you. I was just listening to you recounting that life from those years ago and um, I was just laughing because I remember at one point, man, we stuck you on a mattress in a Buddhist center for, for a little while. <laughs> and I was just, I, I just, I just had this, this um, narrative playing in my mind about, about those days. And wow. Um, it seems like a long time ago, but it also seems like yesterday. Oh, I, I remember that. I, re I remember literally uh, after being kicked out uh, by my girlfriend um, and kind of walking the streets with a big bag full of my clothes and some books. Um, and uh, I think messaging you and reaching out and saying, is there anywhere to, to stay? And, and you'd introduced me to the guys at the Buddhist center and I reached out and they had a, a room there. And 
<laughs> I was for, for about a week. Um, uh, one of the, God, one of the most interesting and probably strangely peaceful weeks of my life, actually. Yeah, man, not a bad place to kind of, you know, do the work because you were definitely under the ground at that point. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you talk about being under the ground and, and, and um, now as I, as I coach people and, and, and move through life and navigate my way through life, um, the presence that, that I feel that I bring to situations um, and also people and, and how I'm able to help them. I reflect back on that time, that 18 months that, that, that I spent with you and just realize how much that's informed by the things I learned from mm -hmm. you uh, mm -hmm. and from that time with you. And I think the, the, what I'm starting to realize is the biggest, the, the, the most profound thing that I got from that time that informs me so deeply now um, was and is death. Um, and, um, and, 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 and facing death and, and looking it in the face um, and, and, and really the, the underground work, the dirty work, the ashes work uh, that we talked about so much during that time. Mm. What, what is the, under, what's the, What's the underground work? What's the, the living underground? What's that all about? Well, it's about kind of, you know, moving towards your fears, moving towards your discomfort, isn't it? And um, rather than doing what kind of most human beings do, which is find a way to numb that out or distract yourself from it through, you know, work or your name, whatever distraction you care to name, um, it's actually turning towards it and, and, and examining it allowing the descent to happen rather than, than fighting against it and then realizing once you're down there, that's the place where you can grow. Um, and as I like to say, kind of not trying to come back up again until you're almost comfortable or actually you are comfortable down there. Um, because too many people, you know, they dip in and they go, oh shit, I hate this. And they immediately try to resurface again through whatever method and it's, it's too soon. And you often see in the myths that we talk about um, the way that kind of story unfolds. We talk about underground and we talk about not coming up and, and, and um, um, you know, you, you described me once as a night walker uh, and, and, and I mean, that comes up so often uh, for me, but what exactly do you mean by going underground? Like, you know, for a man in his life, what does that even look like? Well, as I said, you know, we've all got these wounds, we've all got these pain points, um, and we normally develop lies that we don't actually have to address them. Um, but it's actually, it's actually addressing those fears, isn't it? It's looking them right in the eye and allowing them to take you wherever they need to take you so that you can learn from them. That's, what, that's all it is, because we spend most of our lives, you know, wanting to feel comfortable or wanting to feel okay with everything. And when something that is really an entry point to that underground part of you comes along, we avoid it like the plague. Um, but the idea is let it come because you're probably going to go down at some point anyway, right? Like something's going to drag you down, whether it's your wife leaving you, breaking up with your girlfriend, dare I say it, Nathan, or, um, or, or, or a sickness or a loss of a family member or something which is going to take you into grief. Mm -hmm. um, 
you know, and as Robert Bly says, as men, you know, we have to learn how to grieve because from that place um, is where you discover everything about yourself. It's where you discover your purpose. It's where you discover everything. It's where you discover the goal. And the idea is to bring that back and use it to be a service, right? Mm. Um, and I think if you look at your trajectory of your life, man, and the trajectory of mine, that's essentially what's playing out, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, and, and when you talk about not, not wanting, <laughs> it's like not desperately clawing at the ground to pull yourself out. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a lot of, a lot of, a lot of people are potentially doing for their entire life, but instead would you call it surrender or or yeah definitely surrender man i mean as you're saying that what's coming up in mind is an old there's a metaphor that i used to use um a while back and actually you know tapped into what you're talking about about death as well because this idea that when you're born you're basically pushed off a cliff right (laughs) and inevitably you're going to hit the bottom there's no question about that um, so to me, it's like you can either spend your life kind of clawing at the, at the tufts and the rocks down the side of the cliff trying to break the fall, which isn't going to happen, or you can actually just let go, enjoy the fall, maybe just check out the view, learn how to do a few backward somersaults on the way down, you know? And to me, yeah. that's, 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 that's the metaphor right there. And I think too many of us um, are clinging, constantly clinging, and that's, um, basically, that was that was Buddha's definition of suffering. This idea of constantly clinging, clinging, and to me, it's like, isn't that just clawing at the walls of the cliff on the way down? When you're going down, bro, yeah. so you may as well enjoy the ride. I I, I often find that um, my work has has over over this time kind of um, gotten deeper and deeper and deeper until I'm almost teaching the same thing to everyone to address every problem problem. And it all comes down at the end to let go. Mm. Let go of what do you think? Like fundamentally, you say let go of everything, but you know, can we define that a little more clearly? I wonder what, what are we actually letting go of? Right. So like, so like just saying let go, Mm. In any situation, what does that actually mean? Yeah, and, and why is someone so afraid to let go? And and how would anyone even know how to do that as well? Yeah, I mean these are all really big questions, man. Um, I'm almost tempted to throw them back at you and see and, and see what's coming up with you and your coaching work around that. Yeah. Um, well, we we've spoken and we've been speaking lately, and I've been thinking a lot about uh, death. Um, uh, and essentially a, a lot of what I talk about now is, is the polarity, um, and the words that I use is quit or commit. And I use that in, in reference now to relationships when we do relationship work. Um, and it very quickly cuts to, to, to the core of things. When you ask that question, you know, someone can come and start complaining about their partner, you know, she's. You know, if only she was this, if she doesn't stop nagging, she, you know, we, we're constantly arguing, we're not aligned, all these things. And, you know, right at that point, if you can, if you cut someone off and say, well, hey, quit or commit, like you don't have to be there. You always have a choice. Um, 
I, I find a, a, that takes a lot of people back is kind of this um, maybe realizing or understanding that they've always had a choice and that they've been choosing all along. A lot of people don't want to accept that. Um, instead, I think what I've seen is a lot of people trying to control the uncontrollable. Mm. So uh, that that aspect of asking, what is it that I need that, that I need or that I could or should quit in this moment? Um, is kind of a is quite a, a profound question, and it comes down to to that aspect of trying to control, trying to control the things that can't be controlled. Yeah, but also I hear you know if you're saying what can I quit in this moment, it's, it's possibly another way of saying what can I let go of. Right. Um, yeah, and to me, you know, if you needed to quit something in a relationship like that, you know, to me, you start to get into the world of, of conditions. Um, you know, you place these certain conditions on the relationship so that you get, you know, what you need. Um, maybe circling all the way back to using it as a distraction from the things that you find uncomfortable, <laughs> you know? So I think, you know, it all comes back to a pretty, uh, it's the monomyth, right? It's the one story that we're all living mm -hmm. uh, to a certain degree. Yeah. Um, yeah, I find that interesting. You, talking that way because essentially you, you, you're in a relationship because of fear or because of love, right? Um, and I think that sort of taps right into what you're saying in terms of quit, quit or commit. Um, I think I asked a question in, in, as a comment in the post you just wrote um, an hour or so ago, basically saying, you know, which of those things is playing the leading hand in, in your relationship if you're honest with yourself? Because I know I can look at my own life, for example, um, you know, and getting very intimate very quickly. But I, but I know that I made decisions around relationships that were entirely based out of fear. Mm -hmm. When I look back on them now, um, certainly not coming from a place of love, which had, um, you know, outcomes that, that have shaped my life. Um, mm -hmm. But I know that, that at the time that they were a product of, of fear-based decisions. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I don't regret them because at the time, you know, that's, that's where I was. Um, and that's what played out. So. And and you'll know you'll know that that's that 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 applies to my relationship as well. Um, you know, uh, not only the decision to be in the relationship, uh, the decision uh, for me to be in the relationship with Marette stemmed from uh, you know the the desire to prove uh, to the world that I could have a a, a girl that looked like that. You know, which was uh, the fear of, of 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 being rejected, the fear of not not being loved or not being liked, um, and and the two of us co-created that, um, uh, and it led us down some some really kind of difficult paths uh, to 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 making some decisions that uh, that that didn't serve us very well um, until we kind of understood this concept. And really faced the reality of the end of the relationship um, and surrendered to the end of the relationship and then from that surrender what bubbles up is well now uh, I, I can choose to be here from a place of freedom from a place of love not a place of obligation of fear um, and that little process has formed the basis of, of, of our relationship which is which is essentially 
every time we feel that we're slipping into that place of, of being here from obligation and from fear, saying, I think it's time to look at what we need to quit in this moment, what we need to let go of uh, and, and, and facing that. So we, we've done that in a relationship over and over and, and it continues to, to be a ritual that we continue to, to, to do often. It's also what we teach uh, the couples that we work with. And it has just kind of led me to the understanding that we're not really only facing the one big death at the end of it all. Um, that, that, that big death is actually represent, represented or, or is actually occurring. I, I love that Ram, Ram Das, uh, I heard him say, the other day, I say it like he was just over <laughs> the other day, you know, uh, death is a, a, a ceremony yeah. where you take off one outfit and you put on another. Mm. Um, so, so, so can you, can you explain how death is, how we're facing death all the time? Whether we yeah, know- I mean, there's a lot in what you just said there. I'm just sort of, thinking about the best place to start. But I love what you said about Ram Dass's stuff because he used to talk about um, dying into the moment. Um, mm. the, the idea being that every moment is a death. You know, you take a breath, it's kind of like death, rebirth, right? Mm. Um, and then that moment's gone, it's dead, and you move on to the next present moment, and then that's dead. And he sort of, you know, he said, he actually said we're dying into life. Dying into life. Um, and I kind of, I, I really, like that. So yes, there's this idea of little micro deaths going on every moment. But this is the whole idea about life. It's wheels within wheels within wheels. And you can look at the hero's journey like that too. You can say the hero's journey is is the arc of my life. Or you could go even bigger and say my hero's journey is the arc of many thousands of lives that I've lived. Mm. Or you can bring it all the way back in and say a single moment, a single breath is is, is an entire hero's journey. within itself. Um, you know, think about the Wim Hof method, for example, you, you know, even you, when you stop breathing, it's almost like a refusal of a call, right? <laughs> but, you know, you, you can actually see the wheels in the wheels. Um, but I liked what you said earlier about the way you kind of surrendered into the ending with, with Moret, because that's, that's what's breathed life into your relationship. Um, not to mention that knowing you two people, you know, you're both um, so willing to examine the, the dark cobwebbed corners of, of every part of yourselves and, and, and the relationship itself as a whole. And I think, you know, when I talk to you about being a night walker, which is something that, that Ruby talks about, um, that's what I meant. You know, you just, you, you, you know, you almost get edgy um, if you're not examining some dark area of your life, which is causing you a bit of discomfort. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, you know, this idea of looking at endings and I think, a big issue with people's relationships is that yes, they say they love their partner, but what they're really saying is that they love the lovable bits. Um, And and there's parts of that person that they, they're, you know, not as overly um, enamored with, um, but they just kind of leave those parts to the side. Um, And to me, the idea of, you know, unconditional love, which, and obviously we know that that's kind of an oxymoron itself because love is in and of itself unconditional, but, yeah, you know, 
that's kind of human nature to just love the lovable bits and, and, and kind of leave the other bits to one side as if they, they don't exist. And, and my view of a relationship is that you need to love all of it, you know, including the endings. Um, and that, that may be the breakup of, you know, the inevitable breakup of the relationship because even if you stay together, you know, one's going to die before the other um, in, in most cases and the other one's going to be left to, you know, scatter the ashes in the yard, as they say. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, you know, can you learn to love the ending? Um, a lot of people struggle with that. I watched my two-year-old nephew, Alex, as he stayed with us for, for three weeks over Christmas. And I had just the best time uh, watching him uh, uh, learning every day, every moment. Um, learning to, to um, use words and language to unlock and shift reality, which uh, for, for him, I assume, are just sounds that he learns. And if he makes a sound in a certain way, that it produces a certain result. It was just so fascinating for me to watch. And... Um, I saw him, I saw him fight sleep and that, that concept of getting too tired to sleep was very interesting to me, but then I, but I watched him fight sleep. And then when he would finally sleep, I would watch him wake up and watch this, this moment or this time, you know, whether it was 15 minutes or 20 minutes where it looked like he was was coming back from another place, right? And figuring it all out again and putting it all, all, all back together and, 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 and relearning some of the stuff that he needed to learn to operate back in this reality. And I found myself wondering, where did he go, uh, you know, at that age? Um, and then, of course, the, the next step is, well, how isn't that death? Mm. How isn't that death? How isn't every time we go to sleep, do we not have to surrender to the possibility that, that we may not open our eyes? Um, and, and, and that really had me thinking about, uh, uh, about stuff. And so I wanted to ask you, uh, I've met Jack. <laughs> um, I haven't spent uh, nearly as much time with him as I would like, but um, what's the biggest lesson you've learned from Jack? It's probably that, man. It's probably, it's probably wrapped up in everything you just said there. It's the idea of, you know, kids have an amazing way of just of, of, of being pure presence, you know, um, and the idea of just being in the moment. Um, for a five-year-old kid, there really isn't much else. Um, it's just the moment, you know, and, and I love that in Jack. But also for me, just watching him, it's a little bit like with your um, nephew, um, just watching him figure shit out and helps me to figure my own stuff out. Um, and, and, and plus just the joy, you know, anybody who's listening to this will know just the, just the joy that, that having a child can bring you. I mean, just today, um, I was down there. Um, the pool with, with Jack and um, 
and we were in a, like a wave pool. And just when the wave started, you know, really firing up, he kind of launched himself at the first wave with his fist in the air. And he, he's, he's like, he goes, um, I am the most powerful. And then like literally the first wave hit him and, and he, he, he lost his undies like right down in his ankles. <laughs> and, like, and he's just, and without missing a beat, without missing any joy, he just, he just says, okay then, we'll just pull our pants up here. <laughs> and I'm just like, like never say to the world, I am the most powerful because you'll have your pants pulled down, you know? <laughs> and I'm just like, I was just like, there, there's the lesson, beautiful, right there. <laughs> I still remember during that time that I talked about uh, in the in the intro of, of chaos in my life, uh, financial and relationship and, and everything else, meeting you at the Playland where Jack was playing around and we were sitting down and, and like at that time, I mean, every time we caught up, it was just super intense. Like we were talking about some some real deep shit and, and, I, and we were both going through some stuff uh, together. And I remember he came over and, and and, and I was talking to you about money. And, uh, and I said, you know, we were talking about money and I was stressed about money. And he came over and asked what's wrong. And I didn't know, I didn't really know what to say to him because at that time it would have been what, three? Yeah, three and a half, yeah. So I didn't know what to say to a three-year-old about why I'm, you know, so upset and why I'm so stressed. How do you even explain that to a three-year-old? And I kind of looked to you for guidance and you just said, well, just ask him. <laughs> <laughs> just 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 tell him just ask him so i said you know i'm 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 a little bit stressed you know, i think i said and he said why and i said well because of money and he said of course why and i thought well i don't have enough of it <laughs> and of course you know what he's going to say this is just why but the way he was asking why was so Oh, it was, I mean, it was just like, he was just, it was something that he just couldn't understand that he just wanted to know. And, 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 and it just kind of cut straight down. And, and then I think we asked him, I, I, yeah, I can't remember the rest of that story. I don't know if you do, but I think I asked him, what is money? Mm. And his answer was as always so profound. Um, and I can't, I can't recall it right now, but if I do, I'll repeat it. Um, but conversation. I, I, I think the interesting part there is, you know, like asking why, like sometimes even if you do that of yourself, you can cut to the core pretty quickly. You know, if there's a genuine, you know, uh, why am I concerned about that? You start to unravel things pretty quickly if, you, if you're honest with yourself. And so I guess when you've got a three and a half year old kid looking at you with those doe eyes and asking why in that way, it makes you dig, dig, dig in and you, and you really did. And so I think sometimes that, that's all it takes, right? Um, right. And, and you, you, you obviously hear some people uh, getting uh, or expressing annoyance at those questions of, of continued questions of why, 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 mm. and perhaps coming up with some answer to, to just, just get the kid off your back. Well, maybe, maybe this kid we're talking about is your own inner child. Right. Um, because you know, just to get him off your back to stop him asking questions is, is, is you know, not to go underground. Right. There you um, go. And so you can sort of loop it all the way back to there because you know the inner child in you is constantly asking these questions. Um, and 
you know, um, Robert Bly used to say, you know, growing up as a man is learning how to father yourself. Mm. And so maybe there's something profound in there um, around asking, allowing the inner child within you to ask for those questions and to be genuinely present to that part of yourself and try to answer as best you can because, you know, most people would be dismissive of, of, of someone like Jack when he's asking those questions. But you, because you're the night walker, so to speak, you, you genuinely dug in and sort of thought, yeah, well, why am I concerned about that? And you tried to be as honest as you possibly could, which to me is, is doing the work, right? Mm. So, you know, it takes two to tango. And I think those exchanges you have with Jack only work because of who you are as well as who he is. <laughs> mm. Mm. Um, when did you shave your head and why? <laughs> that is such a random question. Um, I can't remember exactly when. I had long, really long hair for ages. You might have seen that. Yeah. So I think it was um, just kind of going radically the other direction. I don't even know why. I think it was, no, no, that's not true. It was getting shorter and shorter. And, it's, and that's right. It was getting shorter and shorter. And I just got to a point where I was like, <laughs> may as well just go all the way, <laughs> you know. Um, so, yeah. I don't want to go back. It's great. Yeah, I was thinking about that today because I only got a $55 haircut. Right. Um, and then just before this, I was I had a shower and I was like doing it. And I thought, you know, I've had a shaved head before and there's something absolutely uh, beautiful and, and, and easy about it. Uh, and that question popped into my mind. So I thought, why not? I'll, I'll, I'll ask. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's actually interesting because I did my Kundalini yoga teaching um, course last year and of course you know they're all about the long hair and the long beard so I'm probably a bit of an oddity in being a kundalini teacher without the flowing locks and the flowing beard that's funny yeah um, it seems it seems every time I talk to you I find out something new about you and new about your life and um, uh, honestly you are you're a person in my life who just there's just so much to you uh, that um, it seems like whatever kind of lesson I'm grasping for in the moment uh, or, or whatever I'm trying to uh, explain or explore or, or um, uh, whatever concept I'm trying to explore, it seems like I can, I, I can, there's always something from your life or from what you've told me that I can reach to. Um, it just seems like you've had so many lives. Right now where you're at, like, can you, can you share a little bit about what's going on for you right now in, in, in life and maybe what's coming up? What's, what's ahead for you? Um. Yeah, I'm happy to answer the question. I'm just trying to think kind of the best place to start because, you know, as with all of us, there's always, it always appears like there's a lot going on, right? Um, yeah, I mean, for me, I've kind of felt really called to action this year to sort of step up in certain ways. Um, and I think that's partly because of what's going on around us. You know, we've kind of started the year with this, you know, with the fires and 
it kind of really threw me for a loop. I, I really felt quite overwhelmed for, for a little while. I wasn't quite sure what to do with, with my emotions around that, you know, particularly having a five-year-old boy. And uh, it, there were lots of triggers for me. So I was feeling, you know, there were days when I was feeling angry. There were days when I was feeling just so much grief that, I, that you know, it was, it was hard to kind of breathe um, until it became literally hard to breathe <laughs> lately in Melbourne. Um, but so, yeah, there's, there's been a lot, a lot, um, a lot of kind of stuff going on around that. But at the end of the day, when I sit and I meditate and I, and I sit still, it, it, it's calling me to action, you know? And, and I was saying to the guys um, just last night, like, it's almost like that fire is symbolic and, and it's kind of lit the fire inside me. And that's the fire that I, I, I need to, to work on, that raging fire inside me, you know, the, the, you know, the solar plexus chakra stuff, the, you know, the personal sun, the, the fire in the belly sort of, sort of deal. To, um, like there's really no excuses now for me to, to not go out there and, and, and give my everything, you know what I mean? It's like what is, what is preventing me? Like I know I have so much more to do, to give, so much more potential. And it, it's only sort of dawned on me at the beginning of this year that I've been holding back. Just on that, um, it, it seems quite um, quite clear to me uh, when I hear you talk about your life and the things that you've accomplished, uh, which we, we don't have to go into, needless to say that you, you have accomplished a lot of pretty uh, amazing things in your life that, that 90, you know, 90 percent of, 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 the, of the population uh, would, would not have experienced. And you, you, you did it quite young and, and it kind of went all through throughout your life. It's quite clear to me that you're able, once a decision is made, to follow through on things and, and create things, I won't say easily, but powerfully. Um, and you say that you're, feeling, you're, 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 you're heeding the call now, um, and that you've been holding yourself back. Do you know why you were holding yourself back and, and, and what that period was, was like? Um, I think, you know, it's probably, I'm probably talking about the kind of, the chapter that's come, you know, post corporate career, post right. you know, the health diagnosis and, and, and you know, um, you know, losing some family members and close people in my life, it's probably post all that and I'm not, I guess it's taken a while for me to gain the confidence that um, just just the, the assuredness of kind of knowing what I'm doing, you know what I mean? Mm. Um, because, it, you know, it, all, it was never really, this whole journey since then has kind of been a little bit organic, you know, it's sort of like I've been called as opposed to stepping out in a certain direction. You know, it came like even back in the days of you, it just so happened that, you know, the process that I went through to kind of get myself back up on my feet again was interesting to some people. And as I talked about my own journey with that, it triggered off things in their, in their own life. And then I found friends were asking me, you know, not advice, but just wanting to have conversations. Um, and it just kind of went from there. So there was no kind of real plan to be or do anything in that space. It's just kind of evolved the way it has. And but now I feel like, because it's, that's nearly 10 years ago now, now I feel like 
I've got I've got some some miles under my belt, and, and I can be a little bit more confident and a little bit more self-assured that um, that I can be of great service to people. And so I feel this year like I can step up a little bit. Um, yeah, you know, I, I, I you know I can see a little bit how that looks like, but I'm kind of manifest. I'm kind of working my way through what exactly that's going to look like. But it, at the moment, I can just feel that fire beginning to. Uh, to stoke up again, um, you know. I mean, back to that, um, back to that symbolicness of what's going on around me. I think yeah, that's always interesting if you look at um, the myths and the stories. It's always you know you're always informed by what's happening outside of you to hit the call, right? You've got to kind of decide what you're going to look at and what you're going to pay attention to. And to me, that's really calling. Um, yeah, again, I was using I've come up with the word focus for this year. As, as my kind of mantra, if you will. And what's interesting in that is that the word focus is an old Roman word that means um, um, domestic hearth. Domestic um, what? Hearth, like, like fireplace, okay. earth, hearth. And, um, you know, that came to be known in Roman terms as it moved from that domestic hearth to kind of sacred fire. You know, so when we use the word focus, we're talking about that sacred fire which to me is again that fire within us and so now whenever i see anything about the bushfires or whatever anything else externally i'm just called back to my mantra of focus mm. and you know it's becoming pretty laser-like because you know you can feel yourself getting drawn into these pockets of despair and grief and anxiety and i'm just like focus come back to your higher call and come back to what it is that you've been put here for so, so how is this different from the creation and the action that you were taking as a as a younger man, accomplishing those 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 great things and you know, and, and experiencing all those things in life, and then moving to the corporate space? It's a, well, yeah, I mean, I the the call to adventure that came was my dad's voice, you know. Um, as a young man, you know, I well, I, I kind of, I was always a bit of a yo-yo because I mean, I, I started off, with, you know, the first thing I did was, you know, I had a bit of a career flying hot air balloons, as you know, which was kind of me trying to escape reality to a certain degree. Um, it also gave me a lot of flexibility for having a really good time. Um, but then kind of when things settled, um, I spent some time in Africa, as you know, at the end of that career. And then when I came back from Africa, you know, my mind was set to have a quote unquote regular life. And so I jumped into the corporate world and, you know, and, and did the things that I did corporately for the next nearly 20 years. But that was dad, it was all dad. You know, and I think I've, I've spoken to you before about this, but it was, I think a lot of young men have this, desire to outdo their dads. Um, and I think sometimes the easiest way to measure whether you've outdone your dad is to do something similar to him so that you can compare and contrast very easily. And I actually remember, and it's, just, it's not a pleasant memory, um, but it's, it's profound. I remember sitting on a window ledge at, at my apartment in Hong Kong, having been given a promotion at Time Water, and I was looking out over Hong Kong and, you know, my thought that came into my head was, 
I bet dad never earned this much. Hmm. And I was like, is that, is that, was that it? Was that the reason I spent all this time getting to this point to be able to actually have that happen? You know, and, and I, from that moment on, I, I, my corporate, I just unwound it, you know, um, and certain things happened, you know, like my sister taking her own life, which were very instrumental in, in getting me out of the corporate world. But, but I, I really think that was the beginning point when I started to think, hang on a second, why am I really doing this? Like, is this really what I was called for? Is this really my soul's purpose? Um, to be working my ass off for someone else, not really enjoying it, you know, getting to the point where I looked at my boss and it was like, I never want to be him. I never want to have that job. And it's like, well, then what am I aspiring to? You know? <laughs> and so from that point on, you know, I guess, you know, you know the rest. And I was dragged underground pretty harshly from, from a health diagnosis and, and, you know, losing Sam and losing my mum and, um, you know, and when I reappeared, it was this. And, you know, I didn't even realise that that's what I was being called to for a while. I was just kind of doing it. Mm. Um, more as probably survival than anything else. But as a result, um, you know, having sat in that grief, having sat in that place underground, I guess I learned a few things. Mm. And now, you know, I'm 51 years of age. So, you know, a lot of the guys that come to the circle are just at the beginning phase of that. So I feel like I've got something to offer. Hmm. Um, can you, you, let's take the, 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 the next part, the last part to perhaps turn our focus and, and direct our discussion towards the men listening, who are of course part of the warrior within men's circle, which has undergone some changes <laughs> over the time that, it, that, that it's been up and, and running. Uh, I was there, at, I guess, the beginning, if, if, if you would say that, um, and, and have, seen it, have seen it through. Could you, um, could, you, could you tell us a little bit about the, the warrior within and what it means to you? Yeah, look, it's a great question. I mean, the... The group began, as you remember, um, as a place for men to come together and meditate. That was basically it because I looked around and I could see that most of the places that were offering meditation were kind of yoga studios and they kind of had a very feminine um, aspect to them. Like you'd walk in there and, you'd, you know, there was a very feminine kind of feel to it. It was normally you know, run by some by women and, and there's absolutely obviously nothing wrong with that. But I, I was getting anecdotally, you know, men coming to me saying, you know, they didn't feel entirely comfortable in, in that space, um, you know, dropping into meditation, becoming vulnerable, whatever it happened to be. And so I said, well, what would it look like if I, if I started a kind of um, a men's group where we just got together and meditated and people jumped in like yourself um, and it kind of became a thing. So um, I guess I, I, I started off by putting together um, like a six-week program. Do you remember that? Yeah, it was, I think it was 12. Six or 12-week program. I can't remember. Yeah, and um, when, so I felt like there was kind of a trajectory rather than just coming every week and kind of, you know, doing meditation and then leaving again. I thought, well, okay, well, as, as guys, as men, we can go on a 12-week on a journey together. And, and this, this idea of the warrior basically came to me um, um, 
you know, it's not, it's, it's nothing new, but, but for me, it was reading the book, Iron John, which, and, and I've written about this and spoken about it. So, you know, I'm happy to share, but, you know, there was a moment in my life when towards the end of my corporate career, when I, you know, I really felt like I was done and I was ready to kind of throw in the towel in a big way and I removed myself from the planet basically. And I made the decision that on a Friday night that I wasn't going back in on Monday and how much, truth there was to that or whether that was just a story in my head I don't know but that weekend I picked up Iron John and you know read it from cover to cover and, and you know it may have gone some distance kind of saying saving my life at that point in time it just it just made so much sense to me and you know from within that I was calling on the you know the archetype of the wild man this idea of, of the work that men you know the ashes work of being underground and all these these metaphors that I use quite a lot all kind of sprung from from that place so I guess the course was kind of designed around around that um, you know the wild man essentially and, and the warrior essentially um, well certainly the warrior being an aspect of, of, of the wild man but to me when I looked at men back then you know I saw a bunch of men you know wearing their armor um, you know putting their mask on every single day and the idea was that that was a form of warrior but it wasn't the true masculinity it wasn't the real warrior it wasn't the, the golden warrior or the warrior within and so the idea was could i take men from the outer warrior that they were using to the inner warrior over a 12-week period hmm. um, at least not take them there but at least help them understand the journey and maybe together we could learn a few you know get get a few tools together you know and it's kind of what happened right absolutely um like I said uh, in, in the intro, it was, it was instrumental in helping me through that that period uh, and, and my first introduction to, to men's work. I had read Iron John, mm. uh, interestingly, uh, and also uh, Stephen Bidoff, Manhood. They were the first two. Uh, and, and, and Way of the Superior Man, which I know a lot of men have, have read as well. But those two, but more than, than Way of Superior Man, those two books. Um, and I think I read Manhood first and just noticed that he referenced the hell out of Iron John mm. in that book. Um, and, and, and I said, well, it's so interesting that I have these two books in front of me now. So I went from Manhood into Iron John and um, I didn't quite uh, get through it as quickly as you. I think it probably took me uh, a couple of months uh, to work my way through because it's when, when you're not, I wasn't, it was the first, first entry point into that kind of language. And, and um, it was quite profound for me. Um, so, okay. That brings us to where we are now. And, and, and where do you think it's, where do you think it's going or, or well, I mean, I, I, yeah, I mean, it's a good question. We were doing a few things this year. It's still kind of yet to play out in some forms, but we're having the conversations, which is great. You know, we put together a group of guys that are kind of yourself included, Nathan, that are going to hopefully lead us um, into the next phase of, of what we become. But, you know, it really is, it, it's, as I said, in kind of defining worry within and right back to the beginning of our conversations, it's just about sitting with guys and examining where you hurt, you know, allowing yourself to take that difficult journey, if you will, and look at the uncomfortable parts of your life rather than, 
do things to avoid them. And uh, I guess what I found is when you do that in brotherhood, it, it becomes quite easy. Um, and for me, I guess part of what worked in the beginning, just, just going back and, you know, maybe you'll agree with that, is what I tried to be from the very beginning was just radically open about my own journey. And I think that my, my, my thought was that I was more than happy to, to, to share that with, with the men who, who made the decision to come, come because I figured, like, if you walk through the door, that was the biggest part, you know, any man that walked through the door was, was worthy of being a brother of mine, you know what I mean? Because that's a big deal, um, particularly if you've never sat around a, a group of men before and done anything like that. It's, it's sometimes the hardest part is just to arrive. And, um, and I thought, you know, if I was radically open about my own life and, and that would help men to dig into theirs and I think it worked, right? And then there were guys like you in the group in the beginning who were also um, radically open and I think it just it just worked mm -hmm. um, so now you know the next steps well it's definitely largely the same thing just just on a bigger scale I mean as you know I'm, I'm really when it comes to men's work I, I really follow the work of Michael Mead and, 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 and Robert Bly who's still alive although he's you know not very active in the space anymore and and, and James Hillman who's sadly not alive anymore but those guys like I sit back and I listen to the recordings of um, of some of their men's circles, you know, and it's just like, you can just, like I get goosebumps, you know, thousand men, you know, and, and the, the poetry and the storytelling and the drumming and the singing. And, and uh, yeah, I remember Robert Bly saying, you know, whenever I'm in a place of deep grief, I just have to take myself back to one of those circles that we had. I just have to take myself back to the energy that I felt and that it's enough. Where did it go? Yeah, where did it go? I mean, I think those guys just got, um, um, it was Robert Bly especially, I think he just, you know, I think he just got a little bit jaded with the whole thing. I mean, I think um, Michael Mead's still very, very active, but he's more of a, he's a little bit of a Joseph Campbell character these days. He's really into myth and storytelling and, you know, his podcasts are beautiful, but they're very mythological, you know what I mean? Um, and that resonates with a lot of people, but maybe for some it doesn't. It certainly resonates with me. I mean, you know me, I love, like, we're narrative creatures, we're storytelling creatures, and, you know, our whole life is basically a story, you know, that we, you know, our, our body, our cells respond in, in terms of health and well-being to the stories that we, we, we're giving it, you know. Like, we're all, we're literally just stories from top to bottom. So for me, if I'm going to learn about my life and grow, it, it's going to be, I'm, I'm going to, it's going to be through story, right? Yeah. You know? Um, yeah, and, and, and letting go of the stories that don't serve you and, you know, reframing and I, it just all that stuff um, to me is, is the most powerful. So that's largely what, what this circle is going to be about, you know? Um, yeah, it's just, it's just that. And just I think at the bottom of it all, man, it's... I don't think most men realize how much they crave being in brotherhood. Mm. You know, it's like, it's almost like you resist it in a way because it, it seems like something that's not for you. And then we, I've had so many men come up to me and say, I had no idea how much I needed this. I, 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 I had no idea how much I craved being amongst my brothers and how, you know, it's a time in the week that I just, I just look forward to all week, you know. You, you, it's not something that you can know until 
you've experienced it. And I was thinking this today while I was getting my hair cut at the barber, which is a which is one of those places where men gather. Um, but I was thinking the barber shop, the pub, the footy field, right, the locker room. Um, these are places where, and, and, and the construction site, let's, let's add that. Um, these are places where, where men spend time, a lot of time with other men. But at the same time, I was thinking, this is not brotherhood. This is not real time with other men. This is, you're physically around other men. But it's not the same as sitting in a circle. It's not the same as, as, as going to that level of depth or, 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 or that kind of thing. Um, I, don't, I don't think I have a question, but it was just an observation that, I, that, that came up while, while you were talking is that there are lots of men who spend time with other men, lots of men. Um, so I think that would be quite confusing. To yeah, no, I, I think you're right. Um, there's a vast difference, isn't there? Um, not not always, but most of the time um, between those gatherings and the ones that we're talking about. And you know, I, I remember when I was spending some time in Africa, living in Africa there, and the way that it worked. You know, the men would disappear. You know, and go and go bush for a little while. And, you know, you weren't sure when they were going to come back, and it was just part of the the culture there. And it's just. You know, it wasn't going to the footy. It was an entirely sacred space that those guys were creating. And I remember I had the opportunity to, to go out once or twice with these guys and there was a vast amount of time where you just sat in silence. Hmm. You know, and, and it was just, it was, it was, yeah, I, I had, as a young man, I've never experienced anything like that in my life. And, like, I remember sitting there and I was sitting next to this, this older guy, it's difficult, you know, an old, an elder, definitely, you know, and we'd been sitting in silence for quite a while and this, this, this flock of birds came over the top and, um, and he just sort of, he just sort of looked at them like that, you know, and then they went and, and the noise died down and he just looked back at me and he just held my gaze for ages and then he just sort of nodded his head in approval, like ever so slightly. It was just like, you know, this little nod as if to say, that was fucking awesome, did you see that? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and, and it was just so, in the silence, it was almost, it was almost like zero movement, but he conveyed so much to me, you know? And I was just, as a young man, it was just these feelings, it was just like, holy shit, this is, um, yeah. this is amazing. Like, yeah. like that nod that just says, This is it, yeah. well, as it should be. This is life, you know. Mm. This, this, yeah, this is this is this is aliveness. This is vividness, and, and this is feeling it. You know, you're allowed to feel it. And um, I think we've engendered some of that within the circle because you know, with, like many many guys within that circle, and obviously yourself included. But I feel like I don't have to say much to express what I'm feeling with, with, with these guys anymore. It's a bit like that moment with the old guy in Africa where, you know, I can almost know where people are at mm. just 
you know, when I hug them or, or just, just coming up to, in, in, in meeting, it's like, because I, I know these guys so well now and they know me, you know, I mean, you know, when something's up with me, I, I don't even have to say anything <laughs> and, and, and vice versa. And, um, and that's, that's what we're looking for here, I think, that kind of brotherhood. I, I, um, I'm sure if, if, if Tom and Lucas are listening right now, like that, they were saying not an issue to share a story like this because they, they, they're at the Botanical Gardens, I think, or somewhere, and, um, and Lucas was leaving and he still had like a few hours left on his parking ticket. And, of course, you know, um, us beautiful guys, man, you know, he, he, he went to pay it forward and the guy sort of was just coming into park and he was like going to go up to the window and knock on the window and um, give him the ticket to say, here, look, man, you know, I'm leaving, there's still a few hours on this. And it was Tom. Oh. <laughs> and it's just like when those two meet, having sat in brotherhood for such a long time, it's like, ah, you know, and you, and you just don't get that normally, you know? And there's just this thing that happens and, and, you know, knowing that I've had something to do with that, it just, it fills me with joy. Mm. Mm. <sighs> well, um, I'm glad we got the chance to do this. Um, I'm also, uh, uh, I also feel like this is quite a, um, quite a big thing, uh, you know, more than just sitting down opposite each other and, and, and having a chat. Um, I can't help but, but, um, but feel like for me, this is, uh, this is something that I've wanted to do for ages and ages, um, but never really did or, or, or never really stepped into. And now having, having the opportunity to do this within this group, uh, a group that, that, that I was at at the, at the formation of, um, uh, and to be able to connect uh, and to share uh, all of this stuff with, with all the men and, and then to share it with, with more people is, is really an honor for me and, and, and quite a huge thing. So uh, I wanna say thank you, um, not just for joining me tonight, but thank you for uh, your presence, your friendship, your, your mentorship, your help, um, and, um, and, and, and your love over the last couple of years of my life. Um, and, um, yeah, I couldn't even begin to express, um, how much you mean to me, um, really, and how much, um, and, and how much my life now has been impacted by, by the time that we spent together and that we continue to spend together. So thank you. Um, 